This episode is brought to you by New Balance. You don't have to be an elite athlete when you pound the pavement. Whether you've run five marathons or you only run when necessary, whether you're chased by bears, zombies, monsters, the apocalypse is coming, but New Balance will have you covered regardless. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance, run your way. Visit newbalance.com slash running to learn more. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Go, my favorite sports team. The podcast with a collective six years of collegiate level sports education and over 30 years of sports uh, likingness, doingness, and havingness between the two hosts. If you combine up all of our years of experience in sports, you have those numbers, and it is 100% true. However, my name is Mark, and I have um, a collective zero. But my co-host, Tyler, he really moves up the average for me. So, uh, hi, Tyler. Hi. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've been in sports my entire life, but uh, also spent a lot of years learning and studying sport in the nitty gritty of everything that goes into it and is involved in it. And that's why I have a master's degree in sport administration. I don't. I want to I want to point that out. I really don't. I don't have any kind of expertise in this. I don't know a thing, which is why I'm here to learn because I represent the audience. Not all of the audience. I know that there's some audience out there that thinks they know better than me. You're right. If you think you know better than me, I guarantee you're right. Um, however, for those of you who don't know sports, this is still the podcast just for you because I'm about to learn something today, aren't I? Yes. Today is a long-awaited, long- accosted for delaying of the inevitable uh-huh. the world's most popular most well-known sport tag i mean you're not wrong that's pretty popular and very well known <laughs> but hide and seek but that's those aren't tag is like technically a sport now but hide and seek i don't think is officially a sport dodgeball um i think that's primarily the u.s i don't know how popular or known it is across the the oceans but all right, fine. I've already forgotten. Wait, what was the sport? Again? <laughs> 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 I, I haven't even said the sport yet. You were guessing. <laughs> I, you know, I just sit here and guess. That's pretty much all I do. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, it's the sport that most people in the world call football, but here in the U.S. we called soccer. Uh huh. Okay. That's what we're talking about today. But how are you today, Mark? You have been busy. You have been traveling a good bit recently. You just like released that documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. The documentary for my mom, Markiplier from North Korea, just released that. Basically, the past two months have been a sprint of work nonstop for the uh, entirety of that time. But now all that is done and all the other projects that I was working on are behind me and all that's left forward to me are all the other projects that I want to do. But at least I'll have more free time. 
Yeah. And you got to spend a good amount of quality time with your mom this past number of days. Yes, that's been nice. Well, how are you? Am I supposed to ask that now? What's oh, with the yeah, awkward uh, silence? What are, you, uh, what are you expecting something? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, friendship, reciprocation of caring. Um, yeah, I've been... <laughs> uh, whatever. You're here to do the sports dance, sports monkey dance. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm dancing, I'm dancing. Get with your master's degree. Why don't you flop it around a little more? <laughs> No, I've been good. I've been busy uh, studying up and getting this primer particularly ready, although I'm pretty sure people are going to yell at me. But uh, I've been good. I started working out again, getting back into it and uh, trying to eat healthier and be healthier. I actually uh, rode my e-bike today to go and get some blood drawn for some tests, and it was really fun. Oh, fun. Good. I'm glad. All right. Well, because this one's a big one. What? Hold it right there, criminal scum. I have over five separate jacuzzes to give to you right oh, now. Oh, oh my. I am so unprepared. I know. The first one, Phase Machines on the subreddit says, please, no soccer primer. Wait, are they asking me not to do this primer? Or? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what that means. Oh. Please, no soccer primer. Please, uh, I mean, I... Uh, sorry, but uh, it has to happen. You know, it's like the world's biggest sport, and um, you know we're we're gonna do it right now. So here it comes. Hope you're the ready. Jacuz! You hold on to yourself right there because at W Dubs said there had better be a soccer primer. The... Where to go? I just I swore it was just a war this week. Listen, it, it's happening on Thanksgiving. This, th this episode is on Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving if you're in the United States and we're talking about football, and football is a big part of Thanksgiving, but we're talking about the other football that's more important in the entire world, so like, uh, you gotta listen to it, and it's here, so yeah. Alright, fine. There's like six different posts just this week talking about the soccer primer and being incredibly upset that you have not done it yet. And clearly, I'm not to blame. So I am like, I'm immune to all of this, Jacques. <laughs> I don't have anything to do here. You mean uh, Bob didn't sub in last week because you were pretty much unreachable because of the sprint to the finish that was the documentary for your mom, which, by the way, I totally understand and think it was great of you for uh, making sure that that was accomplished for your mom and so people that are angry can't accuse you for being out of town and therefore us not being able to record this primer for last week because you were helping your mom I, those ancillary details are unimportant because it's all about you all right that's all the jacuzzi literally every jacuzzi is about the soccer primer oh i know lacking like <laughs> people are really like this week is it because the world cup is happening or something yeah the world cup officially starts on the 20th so um, wow. a few days before this has aired but huh just so you know that we're recording it beforehand. But happy Thanksgiving. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Sorry. Also, man, what a shame. Oh, right, no. Anyway. They had to wait a little longer for a soccer primer. Boo-hoo. Okay. Wow. That's why you get the jacuzzes. Because you know, <laughs> you're trying to act all high and mighty. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, fuck you, too, also. This episode is brought to you by New Balance. You don't have to be an elite athlete when you pound the pavement. Whether you've run five marathons or you only run when necessary, whether you're chased by bears, zombies, monsters, the apocalypse is coming. But New Balance will have you covered regardless. 
Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com slash running to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. You know, all those subscription websites, they just hide those charges from you. They're hidden and repetitive and you forget about them. Oh, I know exactly which websites you're talking about. The ones that you like to go to. You do? I've literally spent so long digging through my finances. Rocket Money can help cancel your subscriptions. You're saying Rocket Money is a personal finance app that helps and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so you can grow grow your savings? Absolutely, yes. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for me? Up to 20%? Maybe. But for our listeners, definitely yes. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash sportsteam. That's R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash S-P-O-R-T-S-T-E-A-M. That's rocketmoney.com slash sports team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. All right, Mark, let's get into it. Okay, today's the day. Today is the sucker primer. To start off, Mark, how is your eye foot coordination? My what? Eye foot. Eye foot. You know, when I when I go to the optometrist, that's not usually a test. Where is that? In between the hot air balloon, or is that when they put two things together and they go, like, <laughs> tell me when they cross? Uh, there and then my foot kicks out and slams them right in the nuts i don't usually think that's a test that i get no no that's not an optometrist test it's you trying to kick something accurately perhaps like maybe hacky sack or kicking a soccer ball oh man uh hacky sack no very bad i've never really done it kicking things in general uh I can't say that I'm great at it. I doubt I'd be able to hit a target with any kind of confidence if I tried to kick a ball towards it, let alone a giant wide goal. But to be honest, I haven't had that much opportunity to try. I have, however, seen you kick through a wall. When? When? When did Uh, I? What? When we were working a long time ago, this was back in 2016, when we were helping uh, the people over at Team Edge break down a wall in their studio. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Why was that necessary? I fucked my hand up for a while there. I had cuts on my hand and the scars like didn't go away for years. Wait, really? Uh, no, no joke. Yeah, I, I never mentioned because it was not that big a deal. This is why you should always probably put band-aids on things and put like Neosporin on it because if you don't, it's going to scar for a very long time. Yeah. So uh, take, take care of any injury, everybody at home. Don't be like Markiplier. Don't kick through a wall and definitely don't punch through it. And good thing that was the only time Time I've ever punched through a wall. Am I right? <laughs> Football all across the world requires significant eye foot coordination, dribbling skills, as the game is also played by over 250 million people across the globe. It's the world's farthest. It's the world's <laughs> farthest reaching sport, and statistically, we'll keep it in. Arguably, we'll keep it in. We'll keep it in. <laughs> you can't talk your way out of that one. I'm sorry. That's extremely immature of me. 
It's the world's farthest reaching sport, and statistically... It's the world's farthest reaching sport. Did I say fartest? You said fartest. How did I say fartest? You did. It's the world... Man, you're really just trying to piss off the soccer people, aren't you? I mean, sorry, Apparently. football people. Apparently. Hey, but it is the world's farthest reaching sport, and statistically is arguably... The most popular in the world, mm -hmm. uh, definitely the most well-known sport across the globe, and its history is vast and diverse in the fact of its origin is almost simultaneously occurring everywhere all at once. It's fascinating. Well, I mean, that makes sense because, I mean, in general, people have been bipedal for a very long time. Humans have been running for a very long time. So a sport that would involve running and a ball, which is kind of also one of the earliest toys that humans probably ever had, it, it does make sense that it would occur simultaneously in multiple different cultures. It does. But as we get into Act 1, the history and origin. Okay. It gets really intricate and surprising. So to begin... Ancient times, Central slash South America, 1600 BC. The Aztecs and the Mayans both had a game that similarly involves a ball, and really it's kind of like a circular hoop. Uh huh. But for the Aztecs, the game dates back around 4,000 years ago, with the Aztecs possibly having, having invented the earliest version of what would become soccer. Their game was called Alama, often called Tishatali. I'm mispronouncing this horribly, which is actually the name for the court that it is played on. But the aim was to get a ball through a stone hoop without using your hands. You could only use your elbows, knees, hips, and head. Okay, I mean, I'm familiar with this only because I've watched the movie The Road to El Dorado, which is a great movie. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but they do have that as a prominent feature in that movie because was it the Aztecs or the Mayans in that movie? I think it was the Aztecs. But they also showed like the Mayan like buildings. I don't was know. Was it true They're... that the other team died? They were killed. So there's an interesting conundrum on that front, and we'll get into that in just a second. Okay. But it is believed that the game had a deep religious tie, but it was with relation to the ball representing the sun, and the captain of the losing team being sacrificed to the gods was believed. Um, sometimes the full team, like you talked about. That seems kind of like you're going to run out of skilled players. Like, I feel like if, okay, if there's an intense religious component behind it, I could get behind that. But I'm like, man, who's going to really volunteer to be on the team? You got to really be confident in your skill. And it just seems like you're getting in a situation where a winning team is just going to become so dominant that every time they play against someone else, they're going to lose because they keep killing the other team. Well, the interesting part is it's disputed that the losing team would be sacrificed because being sacrificed for their religion was considered an incredible honor. And thus some argue that the winning team was the one that actually got sacrificed. Huh? Interesting. That's a fun thought. Very one way or the other, but somebody gets sacrificed either way. Kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> God, every, everyone's trying to throw the game in the middle of it. Like, Oh no. Oops. Oh God. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing. Oh, no. Maybe they flip-flop the rules depending on how well people have performed. Maybe. Depending on who was ruling, it's like, I want the winners to live. Yeah, exactly. Or I want the losers to live. <laughs> um, but their ball uh, was called a Yuli. It was nine pounds made of hard rubber, and it was never allowed to touch the ground, which is not similar to soccer in that sense. So they had all kinds of protective gears, a lot of deerskin guards for their hips, chin, thighs, hands, cheeks. And even with that protection, people would get hurt. Yeah, wouldn't want to get hurt before you're sacrificed to the gods. 
Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> um, but there, the ways to get points were obviously hitting it through the hoop, but there were also six markers on the sides um, that it, they could be given points for hitting uh, as other skillful plays. Uh, fouls were also given to players if they couldn't get the ball across the center line or if they touched the ball with the wrong part of the body. All of this is like nobody's alive from that time, so this is what they are believing based on interpretation of what was written. But a form of the Aztec game is still played today known as Ulama. And what was the original name? The original name was Olama. Oh. It was O-L-L-A-M-A. Probably not pronounced the way I'm pronouncing it, and the, the version today is U-L-A-M-A. Okay, got it. Meanwhile, the Mayans had a very similar game. This one was called Pokatok. It was played also with a solid rubber ball and heavy pads with the object of the ball to knock the ball with any part of the body except the hands through another stone scoring ring. So very similar to the Aztecs. Uh -huh. Neither winners or losers during the Mayan ball game were sacrificed. The game actually took place instead of going to war oftentimes uh, to solve conflicts between cities and other tribes and other parts of the world. But the game is, again, very similar to the Aztecs. Their game, however, was often played for fun during festivals and special events, such as a ruler becoming king or, you know, to replace a war. Okay. It is thought that their rubber ball was produced by mixing latex with juice from the morning glory vine, which contains a chemical that makes the rubber less brittle and more bouncy. Huh. I didn't know that they even had rubber back then. That's fascinating to me, too. I mean, just reading all of this and the fact that they had rubber balls back there, crazy. Yeah, I always knew that the Aztecs and the Mayans were, like, technologically advanced, especially for that era, because they built oh, yeah. those pyramids. They had all kinds of, like, uh, the calendar. Is it the Mayan calendar uh, that is extremely accurate so yep. they had a lot of advancements and a lot of like things like that so i guess it's not too surprising considering rubber is from tree sap i believe it's particular i believe so that sounds right i can neither prove or disprove that off the cuff at the moment you'd have to go to a science podcast to really get the basis of that we don't know science here we know sports yes but the versions of these games were played not on a rectangular shaped field but it was an i-shaped court the game featured two teams who had to get the ball to the opposition's end of the court while keeping it in the air, not using their hands. But these versions of the game don't seem to align much with the modern game of soccer, although there is strong evidence for a kickball game that was also played in Central America a long time before anywhere else in the world. Okay. Moving forward in time, we head to China. Another early version of the game tracing back to 206 BC, uh, often seen as the earliest example of a game where a ball is kicked around called Su Chu, T-S-U apostrophe C-H-U. Okay. It's also known as Kuju, C-U-J-U, which translates as kicking the ball. This is actually cited by FIFA as the origin of what became modern soccer. They declared that China in Linzhou, China, where Kuju was regular played as the birthplace of world football. Interesting. All right. But this ancient game was a form of soccer was played on a rectangular field. There were two teams juggling the ball in the air and had to kick it through a goal, which was at the center. Um, it was made of two bamboo goalposts erected in the middle of the field, and there was a net with a hole in the middle. Oh, I think I've seen like a version of this. When you said ball in the air, I'm like, oh, wait, what I saw was like a game of hacky sack. But there were goals on the end of the, the, the field. And so they were trying to like keep it in the air and also get it in the goal. So it's still not technically staying. The ball is not still on the ground, right? Correct. 
Ah, okay. All right. This game is still played today. It is a, a traditional game. I was watching a video on it, and it's very interesting. Um, the ball is made from rubber and filled with fur or feathers. Again, the aim is to get the ball through the small opening in the net without using hands. Teams often consist of 12 to 16 players, and women were sometimes involved, which is, is one of the earliest representations of women in sports was with this game. Cool. The Chinese military often used the competitive version of this game as fitness training. I mean, that makes sense. Any kind of thing where you're just running around and kicking something is going to get you fit. Yeah, and this this game was hugely popular in China for centuries. Although its popular popularity eventually declined, there are still teams that keep the tradition alive in China and play it to this day. Traveling a little bit further now, we're heading to the west. We head to Greece. This game is called Ipskoros. It involved two teams handling or kicking the ball. The aim was to get the ball past a white line on the opposition side of field of play. It heavily was based on teamwork and defense. A lot of strategy um, with organization, defensive structure, and communication was a huge factor in winning this game. And it was a much more physical game than the modern day of soccer today. Uh, and in this game, hands were allowed to be used as opposed to the other two games we've talked about. It is argued to this day that the teamwork and strategy involved in this game had a massive impact on the development and invention of the modern game of soccer. Was in this version the ball on the ground yet? If they can use their hands, is it still like being juggled in the air? Yeah, it is. Can't touch the, gr the ground, according to history, because a lot of the things are showing like a Greek athlete balancing the ball on his thigh like throwing the ball around, but it, there were also like boxing and fighting matches with the ball in the air. Uh, <laughs> it's all based on depictions, so there's not a lot of information. This is somebody waving, he says, I got it, I got it, and they get punched right in the nose. <laughs> I, guess if, I, I do find it fascinating that so many of these early versions of it had the ball staying in the air. Like what, what was the differentiator that made everyone be like, yeah, we got to keep it in the air. That's obvious. Whereas for me, it seems almost super obvious that it would stay and roll on the ground. Well, I think it was about, it required so much more skill to be able to keep it in the air and off the ground. And it wasn't until like, obviously very low scoring games. And until we got into the modern versions of the game that a lot of the thought processes of like, what's simple and what makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It, huh. That is fascinating, though. As I was going through this, that wasn't something that I originally thought about. But like, if you think about ancient times, a lot of things were warriors and martial arts were a lot of times involved in combat. And maybe that lent itself to the conversation of why the ball needed to stay in the air as a version of like, you know, having to have accuracy and power with your kicks and strength when you were being tackled or beat up by another player. Yeah. I mean, I just love the violence part of that. Wasn't there a childhood game that, you know, in our era of growing up that was just like extreme violence? Someone was going for the ball, you could full on body tackle them. Oh, are you talking about Cream the Bean? <laughs> Is that what it's called? Or, yeah, yeah. So it was basically whoever had the ball, it was tackle and beat them up until you got the ball. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that, oh God, I didn't <laughs> it remember was, the it name. Was, it was basically you didn't have enough people for football and it was just Cream the Bean. So you'd throw the ball like uh, like playing jackpot. But once somebody caught it, it was like, no, I'm taking it. <laughs> I don't want to take it if I'm going to be the next target. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with that. I played that a lot. That was actually really fun. I can't believe I played that. There were not that many injuries. <laughs> <laughs> there probably were. It just didn't happen to you. <laughs> I'm pretty injury prone nowadays, so I guess karma's catching up to me. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Now we go to Rome. This game is called... By the way, this is Rome, Italy, if anyone was confused. This game is called... What, uh, what other Rome? 
I mean, there's a lot of Rome. Is there another Rome that people would think of first other than the one in Italy? I don't know. Maybe. I I don't think so, man. Uh, Maybe that's my American education talking, but I'm pretty sure in the rest of the world, Rome, people would think, oh, yeah, you mean Rome, Arkansas? Oh, I love that place. You know, I wanted to make sure it was was put next to it in my notes to say Italy, (laughs) so I wanted to make sure I was clear. Well, I mean, technically speaking, in this era of Rome that we're discussing, Italy wasn't a country at (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but this game is called Harpastum. H-A-R-P-A-S-T-U-M. It seems to have developed from the Greek game of Episkoros. I, I don't remember how I said it. Um, but it was enough. also Yeah. Well, it was played with a small ball similar more in size to a softball and considered to be a fairly violent game. Again. As they usually do in this era, because they don't have any other form of entertainment to do other than beat each other up. So there's not much known about this game, (laughs) but it was believed to be fast, physical, and a highly skilled game that was played between two teams on a rectangular field with the aim to get the ball over the opposition's line to score. Similarly to the Greek game, but the ball was smaller. Due to the vast reaches of the Roman Empire during this time, this game would have been widely spread throughout much of the world, including into England where modern-day soccer was officially invented. Huh. So it's believed that this game did have a large influence on the development of soccer. I find it interesting that we know less about this one than the other ones, considering Rome had a much more... Well, I guess, actually, no one knows the fall of Rome. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, it is fascinating considering you would think like the stories and everything was spread, but maybe like the history and the rules and stuff just got muddied as it spread all over the place. Yeah. But even then, you would think you'd have some semblance of knowledge from it from the vast expansion that was the Roman Empire. Yeah. Well, that's the way history goes sometimes. People do forget. Well, now we head to Scotland, Uh where the first mention of soccer in Scotland goes all the way back to 1424 when King James I outlawed the game because he felt it was too disruptive. Outlawed the game? Yep, outlawed. Weird. Multiple acts of parliament were also passed in the years after this, trying to ban the sport from being played. At this time, it was an incredibly violent game. (laughs) As you do. Compared to the modern game, it's amazing how violent the original games were. Uh But we'll talk about that in a sec. But there's a court case from 1601 that recorded two brothers were shot and killed over a disagreement in a game. Okay, I can start to see why this was a little bit disruptive. Who brings a gun? I got it! I got it! Bang! (laughs) (laughs) Point for our team. (laughs) I mean, during that time, I felt like everybody carried a gun everywhere they went, I wait, suppose. Wait, how far ahead in history did we go? What, what guns are we talking about? We got six shooters over this here? This is 1601. We have moved all the way into what is not BC. It's AD. Okay, so Flintlock is probably yes. what this is. Okay, all right then. Um, so Scotland's claim over the invention or origin of soccer is based around these facts, but also around the fact that the oldest existing football in the world was discovered in the Royal Palace at Stirling Castle and dates to around 1540, while the world's first soccer club was formed in Edinburgh, Scotland, in 1824. Okay. Edinburgh. That's how we were saying it. <laughs> yes. So, now we go to England, where the modern game is really developed. The first record of soccer in England was in a proclamation by the reigning monarch at the time, King Henry IV, uh, who issued a decree to ban soccer from being played. There's a pattern here. In the beginning of the 1800s, soccer was played in England by the majority of schools and university. The goal was to place the ball in a designated area, usually the captain's house, to score a point. 
which, as you can see, relates back to the Greek game and the Roman game. They went to the captain's house to score a point. They picked up the ball and ran as fast as they could down the road to the captain's house and then threw it yep. through their window, and that's a point? Apparently. <laughs> Wait, no, it's not an exaggeration. I was making a joke. Is that serious? That's how it was described in all of the research that I was done. <laughs> I really hope that's true because that's amazing. I love that. You just go like pick, you pick your captain based on who lives the farthest away. And you got someone that drove 300 miles to get to the game. Like, ha, 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 you'll never find me house. I don't know why they're pirates, but they are pirates. Anyway, games often resulted in low scoring matches because often the distance for scoring destinations was miles. Oh, it really was. Holy crap. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Who came up with that? I don't know. Who came up with How did everyone be like, yeah, this is good scoring. Can't wait to watch this one. The entire audience has to like run alongside on the roads watching them <laughs> kick the ball. Like, oh, they're really going to do Oh, wait, we got to turn back around. Oh, we got to go through Melter's way. Oh, shit, it's only got half a mile to go. Well, I mean, it was schools and universities, so I imagine like kids were basically taking the the game that they had learned from like the Greeks and the Rome Romans uh -huh. and going and being like, we can do this. I'm <laughs> going to put it in your house. Trust me, guys. I read this in a history book. Trust me. Guys, follow me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently advancing the ball would be brutal and without regard to one's well-being. Oh, well, that hasn't been a concern so far. So really, I'm not surprised. <laughs> So without any set rules, the game would cause massive commotion throughout the towns in which it was being held because they were running through town, leading to its ban in the 14th century. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in North America, there is some evidence that the Native Americans, known as the Algonquins, Algon Algonquins, Algonquins, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. That sounds right. A-L-G-O-N-Q-U-I-A-N-S. They played a version of soccer along the Massachusetts coast, according to historians. Um, it was called Pesakuakawag. I wouldn't even try that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did just give up. That's a, I'll give you a pass on that one. <laughs> and it was almost identical to folk football, which is what was being played in Europe at that time, in which the ball was kicked through goals. So this mm -hmm. is a little bit forward again. Apparently, the word, which is the name of the game, translates as playing ball with your feet. Hmm. I feel like they could shorten that. There's a shortened version of that somewhere. I'm pretty sure they could try. Absolutely. But the modern game, shaped by English, was said to have entered America through New Orleans in 1850 um, by European immigrants. This would have been shortly after the time that the Cambridge Rules were drafted in England. The game seemed to even be all across the world back then as early versions of football date back to ancient times all across the globe almost simultaneously, Archaeology remnants point to ancient Greeks, Aboriginal Australians playing similar games. There are notable similar games found historically in places all across the globe. Those were just the key ones. Okay, got it. Understood. We've got Aztecs, Mayans, Chinese, Greeks, Romans, Scottish, and then the UK. Yes. Got it. Speaking of the UK, the modern game. This is the development. There's so much on this. So soccer, known as folk football, began to develop in modern Europe during the medieval period. The ball would be made of a pig's bladder that was kicked around one landmark to another in England during I'm the sorry, century. I'm sorry, hold on a second. Yeah, it's kind of skated over. A pig's bladder. Yes. Filled with what? Air. All right, move on. I have no further question. <laughs> <laughs> 
hey, you you make use of what you can in the medieval period. I so guess, they made a know, ball they, out of a pig's bladder. They did condoms out of intestines, so you know you you do what you can. I guess. <laughs> yep. During some periods in British history, the game was even considered a nuance and banned, as we talked about previously. Truly modern soccer, we can thank the British for, and is the reason that the sport is played by millions today. Obviously, the British Empire expanded all across the world and had massive impact, especially with their trade ships, and uh, they owned the spice trade for a number of years. They expanded and shared their sport to the masses. Uh-huh. So the modern history of soccer began in the 19th century when the game first became popular at universities and schools. Back then, the game was a mixture of what we now know as rugby and what we know in the United States as soccer, collectively referred to as football. Obviously, because those were combined, it was unruly and chaotic due to the variation of rules that different teams adhered to. So different schools had different rules. Some schools allowed people to use their hands. Some required them not to be able to use their hands at all. After a number of students got fed up with the chaos that ensued whenever they played in inter-school matches, they set out to formalize the rules. And in 1863, official rules were drawn up to create an organized game in England. Mm -hmm. These rules formally differentiated rugby football and association football from each other. Interesting. Okay. And I feel like that distinction is only separating the violence. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. I was right. I got it. (laughs) So association football. This is when the rules actually became collectively together. The Cambridge rules in 1848. Teachers from a variety of schools came together in South England at Trinity College and came up with a set of rules after a long time taking slow progress to agree upon certain rules that are now in the document. Their main rules were banning the practice of running with the ball in your hands, awarding a goal when the ball was kicked between the flags and under the string, so the advention of a goal, Fair. allowing throw-ins to be taken with one hand only, Okay. which eventually changed later, uh, ruling that every player on the same team should wear the same color cap so you can differentiate teams. That seems like, wait, I realize now that, was that not a requirement before? Nope. How do you know? You just knew. Or you, you, didn't. you just knew or you did <laughs> Have you ever played pickup basketball? Half the time you don't know who's on your team. Isn't it shirts and skins? Isn't that the idea? Well, you can't always do that if you have different genders and sexes playing together. Some people aren't comfortable taking their shirts off. All right. You're right. I suppose. But at the same time, the integrity of the sport demands nudity. It's a luck of the draw. The <laughs> you're Greeks right. did it. We all yes. can do it. <laughs> So at this time, the rules still did allow for use of the hands in the game, but the amount the ball could be used and handled was reduced in this context and started the divergence of what we know as soccer and what we know as rugby into eventually becoming separate sports. Okay. The next significant step was the Shetfield rules in 1858 to create a universally accepted set of rules that took place in Shetfield, England. Similar to what had been happening in the South, this is the Northern region. Different schools and universities and clubs around the North had been playing the game with different rules. And of course, people got upset. So schools came together and they formed in a general meeting what would be the Shetfield Football Club in October of 1858. And thus the Shetfield rules were created. Uh Again, the rules restricted but didn't completely ban handling the ball with your hands. Some areas that were an important step for these rules is they defined the rules around what a throw-in could be, and they clarified and reduced how much physical contact was permitted between players. Okay, so not eliminating the violence, just toning it down a little bit, keeping it to a certain level. Okay. The rules were amended, and over the two decades, there were two separate sets of rules, the Shetfield rules and the Cambridge rules, the Shetfield being in the north and the Cambridge being in the 
South. The Shetfield rules were used in soccer until 1877 when the Football Association rules were adopted instead. The Football Association formed in 1863, Uh and it was the most important moment in creating a universally accepted uh, set of rules that came together for both the North and South. Multiple clubs and schools came together in London as there was no nationwide agreement on how the game was to be played. And so what happened was a lot of the Southern schools refused to play the Northern schools because they had issues with picking which rule set to play. They didn't like us going over to the captain's house and like throwing all of his toilets out the window. I can't believe I'm not playing by your stupid rules. I can't shoot you in the leg. Well, then what's even the point of playing? If I can't hurt you, I don't want to play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My forefathers in town, they they all, they were dead before I was born. They were playing and having so much fun. If I can't do that, I'm, I'm walking out of here. So it was October of 1863. 11 club and school representatives got together not just to form a set of rules that all teams across the nation would follow, but to create a governing body for soccer nationwide to govern the sport and all of its future developments. Okay. In a number of meetings, there were like six of them, the first version of the rules of the modern game of association football known as it's spelled like ass ocker, but it's A-S dash soccer. That's like my medication that everyone thinks are ass pills. It's just <laughs> spelled that way, everybody. It's not ass soccer. You don't hit it with your ass. It's, it's just what it is. So the idea for this was to bring together all of the rules and make a set agreement for everybody to play upon. Uh-huh. That didn't mean there weren't disagreements. There were definitely a number of schools that were walked out because of they didn't agree with the rules that were being proposed. One of the main disagreements was about handling the ball, and some of the other schools that broke away went on to create what was known as Rugger, R-U-G-G-E-R, football, which eventually became rugby as we know today. Okay. The people that still wanted the violence, rugby has not been officially sanctioned or they don't have a governing body. So people are like, we really want to hit you. We really want to hit you. So we're going to make our own sport. Yep. And between 1863 and 1877, the Football Association and the Shetfield laws coexisted until London-based teams willingly adopted the FA rules while the Northern teams played on their Shetfield rules until the Shetfield teams eventually caved and joined the Football Association in 1877. Okay. So the reason why we call what is known as football across the world soccer in the United States is because of this. Uh Uh-huh. Because I figured you'd ask this question as why we call it soccer and why everybody else calls it football, right? Yeah. Linguistically creative students at the University of Oxford in the 1880s distinguished between the sports of rugger, rugby football, and as soccer, association football, were those terms. They created those terms. Later, as soccer was shortened to soccer, sometimes spelled S-O-C-K-E-R, and the name quickly spread across campus. However, soccer was always kind of a nickname in Great Britain, and by the 20th century, rugby football was more commonly called rugby, while association football had earned the right to just be called playing football. Wait. But. Hold on. You're saying that calling it soccer isn't just an American thing where we made up a different name. That was the original name for it? It was a nickname to differentiate the difference between rugby, what was rugby football or rugger at the time, and association football because rugby football and association football were both called football at the time and so 
the Oxford students created these names of Rugger and as soccer to differentiate the two rule sets. Huh. So it became known as the nickname of soccer for what was called association football. So yes, we adopted the old nickname to officially name the sport that. This is just like with the imperial measuring system, where the whole world makes fun of the US for keeping two feet and inches when it was all the UK who started it. The imperial system is called that because of the imperialist nation that was England. We just keep using it for some reason, but it's not us. They can't make fun of us for using it when they invented it. They made it soccer. It's not our fault. Then we came up with another thing called football. And we're like, oh, shit. Oh, we can't call that football. We'll just use the name that they use. It's not our fault. Yeah. So the interesting part about that is the reason that our football is called football now is I believe that it dates back to the origins of the combination between soccer and rugby because there are some semblances and similarities going historically into how we created American football off of rugby yeah. and why we adopted its old name of being called rugby football and took just the football part and of it. we just called it American. Oh my God, yep. it's not our fault. <laughs> it's not our fault. It's because a bunch of nerds at Oxford were like, oh, 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 and they couldn't decide on a name. And we're just like, all right, you guys got to pick soon. We got other sports we want to make. Uh, you got rugby football, American football. We kind of tweaked it a little bit, but we'll call it something different. And now we look like idiots. Yep. It's not our fault, you stupid Oxford nerds. Yep. <laughs> Looking that up was just a sigh of relief for me. I'm like, oh, I don't feel like an idiot anymore. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. All right. I don't I don't ever feel like an idiot. So, you know. <laughs> so now to wrap up the history portion of this episode. Good God. We're going to talk about FIFA and what created the World Cup. Yeah, there's a lot to this. Not long after clear rules were established domestically in England, and national associations began to spring up worldwide because they wanted to create a national representation for rules and rule sets for being able to play between countries. So in 1903, French journalist Robert Gurin uh, saw an opening to create an international governing body that would oversee the international side of soccer. And by May of 1904, he invited seven nations to meet in Paris. Um, and these nations all had one common goal in mind, to unify national soccer associations worldwide. And this would become the seven founding members for the Federation Internationale de Football Association. And it was Belgium, Denmark, France, Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, and Switzerland that founded FIFA. Interesting. Okay, so it's kind of now the sport has already spread and the rest of Europe kind of wants to be like, all right, we want to pitch in on this because it's uh, those those people in England, they, they can't figure this out, but we will. <laughs> so yeah, FIFA has now grown to become the world's most popular sporting organization and continues to be driven by its mission statement to develop the game, touch the world, and build a better future. Okay. Currently, it boasts 211 member associations, and these member nations are divided into six different confederations, which represent each continent. The World Cup became a major competition in its inaugural tournament in 1930. Mm. And the championship was awarded uh, in every four years except 1942 and 1946 when it was not held because of the Second World War. Oh, that little thing? Oh, all right. Those were the only two sections of four-year span that they did not play the World Cup. I guess that's a good enough excuse, I suppose. But they're on thin ice. So today, the World Cup is happening right now. 
Oh. But FIFA, by the way, they don't control the laws of soccer. That would be IFAB, the International Football Association Board, oh. which was founded in 1886 by four British football associations, the Football Association, Scottish Football Association, Football Association of Wales, and the Irish Football Association, and is seen as the world governing body for the sole responsibility of developing and preserving the laws of the game. Huh. Okay, so it's UK being like, no, 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 all your European football nonsense. We made it up so we get to define the rules. I mean, they kind of defined the rules before FIFA existed, so. Yeah, and exactly, which is why they're like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, every year they have a meeting to adjust rules and change sets, and IFAB is represented by the football associations of England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and then FIFA. Each association has one vote each, but FIFA has four votes in deciding new rules to pass or not pass. Well, isn't that lucky for them? Yep. So FIFA has some power. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Act two. Good God. The laws. The law. The laws? <laughs> the laws. The laws. The law. I am the law. The first law is about the field. Matches must be played on natural and artificial or artificial green surfaces. So the surfaces must be green. The field of play must be rectangular in shape and marked with lines to determine the boundaries. Wait, anything green? It says must be played on natural or artificial green surfaces. <laughs> okay, so jello? I guess. If, <laughs> I, I'm I'm assuming that's these laws were written baseline a lot of years ago. Okay, so there's a lot of lot of loopholes that you might find. So green jello could be a way to play. All it's right. Technically, if everybody's on it, it's an even playing field. Uh, fair enough, I guess. All right. So the field must be rectangular in shape and marked with lines. The two longer boundary lines are called touch lines. The shorter lines are the goal lines, where the goals sit. Uh -huh. Meanwhile, the field of play is divided into two halves by a halfway line that joins at the midpoints of the two touch lines. So those are the longer lines of the rectangle. Uh -huh. The center mark is indicated at the midpoint of the halfway line, obviously the center of the rectangle. Obviously. So there's a circle of radius 9.15 meters or 10 yards marked around that center. A FIFA World Cup field measures 110 to 120 yards long by 70 to 80 yards wide, which is, by the way, for translation, 100 to 110 meters long or 64 to 73 meters wide. This was for the World Cup? Yes, these okay. are the FIFA World Cup measures. But I thought the FIFA was run by IFAB. Or no, the World Cup was the World Cup was run by IFAB. No, IFAB is the the people who set the rules for 
the shape of the field and the size. Okay. I brought up the FIFA World Cup measurements because they talk about measurements for different age groups going into the laws. So I'm, I'm focusing on the World Cup. Okay. All right. Got it. Corners, each corner of the rectangle has an arc radius of one yard for corner kick placements. Your goals that are centered on each goal line are eight yards wide uh-huh. with the front of the goal on the goal line. Okay. And in order for a goal to count, the ball has to completely cross the goal line within the goal. A goal box is a box in front of the goal that is six yards out from the goal line and 12 yards wide. And it is used primarily designating where goal kicks happen, which we'll talk about later. 12 yards from the center of the goal out is the penalty spot. Okay. That's where penalty kicks are taken from. 18 yards from the goal line and 44 yards wide, centered again, marks the penalty box. This is the location where the goalie is allowed to touch the ball with any part of their body, a.k.a. they can pick it up with their hands. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a penalty arc that extends outside of this box, which is centered on the penalty spot. And the arc is 10-yard radius extending from the penalty spot. And it is used to keep players the required 10-yard distance from the ball during penalty kicks. Uh That way you can't cheat and be closer and try and run up if the goalie blocks it and kick it in. Okay. Law number two, the ball. It's required to be spherical, stitched, made of leather, or other suitable material, and it is of proper size, the size being 27 to 28 inches or 68 to 70 centimeters in circumference, uh, according to standard football sizes. And it must weigh between 14 to 60 ounces or 410 to 450 grams. Okay, but it can vary? Yes. Uh, In the World Cup, though, I would imagine it would be the same. It's made to be the same. There's like slight differences that can happen based on the inflation, but they test and try and measure and make it as accurate as possible. This is just the basic laws. Even in when I looked up the World Cup stuff, it still listed these as the same thing. Huh. Okay. Um, but it, whether it's men's or women's, the ball size is the exact same. Okay. Uh, number of players is law number three. Matches played by two teams, each consisting of not more than 11 players and not fewer than seven players, including the goalkeeper. Uh, so 11 players. It's variable? Again, this is the laws in general. The FIFA Cup requires that you have 11 players. But if somebody gets a red card, you tend to end up having to play a player down. Okay. I just think it's a little conceited to call these laws. You know what I mean? I feel like like in every other sport that we've talked about so far, it's been rules. And I know like the distinction is just like a definition distinction. But at the same time, it's like, it just sounds like this came from the Oxford nerds. You know, I, I can just smell the pompousness on these laws. <laughs> I can just smell all their snootiness getting in the dusty pages of the tome of their laws. Oh, yeah. 100%. FIFA World Cup squad size is limited to 26 players, though, with only 11 allowed on the field at a time. During the game, each team is allowed to make a maximum of five substitutions, and the rules state that a team can only substitute a player during a stoppage in play and when the referee grants permission. The number of substitutes is limited to prevent too much interference during the game. Wait, five total throughout the game? Yes. Then what was the point of bringing 23? 26. Well, what was even worse? What was the point of bringing 26? You could have left them over at the captain's house to wait, wait out for the rest of the game. <laughs> if only 13 people can be on there and you bring 26, you're disappointing. You're disappointing eight of them. What's up with that? Injuries, strategic placements, different things like that. But it's you can just, only make uh, five substitutions. During one game, yeah. But if somebody gets injured and they can't play the next game, you still are limited to the 26 players that you brought to the World Cup. But if they have an injury, are they going to bring 26 people to the next game? Yeah. Well then, there you go. There's the problem. They're all gonna. They, they can oh, let. Well, they can hey, let at, at least, least six of them go home. 
at least they can dress. This is the same thing as the basketball thing. It's like you got the same, you got the players there, but only a few can dress. This seems hey, like listen. the same problem. It's also useful for when you're doing practices. You got to be able to face off against the other the, your practice players. Well, you you're know? not practicing in the World Cup. You're just going to watch. Yeah, you are. Are you? Yeah, between games when you have breaks, you, you're definitely going to practice and do some drills. All right, Billy, you've been really warming that bench here. Come on, <laughs> you, let the main squad squash you real quick. We're going to play, what was it? Flick the bean, what was it? What was it <laughs> Cream the Cream bean. The be I don't think that's Flick any better. I don't think it's any worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hold this ball, <laughs> we're about to flick your bean. <laughs> You stand there. <laughs> All right, coach. You got it, coach. I, I uphold the laws. <laughs> flick me. Just try to flick me. You can't. Bet you can. Law number four. <laughs> player equipment. Basic equipment a player comprises of a jersey, which is a shirt with sleeves, shorts, stocks, shin guards, and footwear. Am I supposed to comment on this? I have no, I have no quirks. I was waiting for you jokes. to say something about stocks instead of saying socks, but why you know. it, what did stockings? I get you. So the stockings must completely cover the shin guards. Each team must wear different colors to easily distinguish between each other during play. Goalkeepers must wear colors that distinguish them from the rest of their team players, and jerseys must have numbers on the back to designate individual players on a team. Uh. Law five: the referee. Uh -huh. There's only one referee in the game of soccer. And they are the one who control the match and enforce the laws of the game. Wait, there's only one? Yep. How could he possibly see everything? They're assistant referees. Well, okay, then there's not only one. See, this is the Oxford nerds getting in here again and just being like, oh, there's only one referee except for the others. It's bullshit. The referee's job is bullshit. The referee's job you know it is. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I agree. I agree. I agree. The referee's job is to make sure players respect the official rules of soccer and to penalize them for breaking any rules. The decisions of the referee regarding facts connected with play, including whether or not a goal is scored and the result of the match are final. Some things now are subject to review because uh. video review has been added to uh, FIFA World Cup soccer. Oh, is that a recent thing? Yes. It's happened in the last decade. Oh, okay. All right. Goals and potential penalties leading up to goals, penalty decisions, and preceding moments, direct red cards incidents, and instances of mistaken identity are all reviewable. Mistaken identity? Was Jason Bourne on the field? What is happening? <laughs> what do you, <laughs> you mean? Give a red card to the wrong player. How, how would you do that? Maybe if they had more than one ref, they could decide who the right player was. You're right. You're right. I want to see a game where the referee is, you know, the normal camera that's like flying on strings over the football field that you see at games. I want to see just a dude in there, just like on a, <laughs> with a harness, just watching over everybody. Yeah, he's just like floating over and like, oh, I you're saw old. that. Voting. Oh. <laughs> I would be so, I would make the game so much fun. I, I don't know about you, but I would love to go a game with some dude. <laughs> just one of those strings snap and he's just dangling like a pinata. Like, oh my Grr. God. The amount of times I've seen the camera, like cable snap and it falls down and gets in the way of play and they have to pause for a moment until they can remove the camera. Perfect. <laughs> you just, bam, belly smack. There you go. Yeah. All right. The center referee is the one doing most of the running on the field and therefore calling the decisions, but he is helped by each sideline by an assistant referee, as well as when video reviews happen, there are referees in the video booth. Uh, okay. So for the FIFA World Cup in 2022, there are 36 referees, 69 assistant referees, and 24 video match officials. 
that are all appointed by FIFA. Only one referee and two assistants will be signed per match. For the first time in history, by the way, the referees committee has also appointed three women referees and three women's assistant referees to the World Cup for this year. And this is, I believe, the men's World Cup. Wait, but there's only three total, one and two assistants. Is this another situation with the players where they can field three refs, but they got 20 <laughs> on the bench in the sidelines? <laughs> there are so many games going on in the World Cup. That's why there are so many referees. Oh, it's not just one at a time? Correct, correct. Oh. There are multiple games going on at one time. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Assistant referees, law number six. So there is a law for, okay, I see. They assist the referee to control the match in accordance with the laws of the game. No, place, they don't know way. I'm glad they define that. Oh, woof, I was sweating. Why are they here? Why are they here? They place one on each side of the field with their main job to signal offsides, but they can also intervene when an offense when an offense takes place near their side of the field and the main referee needs their opinion or asks their opinion. Uh-huh. Assistant referees do not have any decision power whatsoever. <laughs> what? <laughs> he or she has the ability to signal a game issue such as offsides, foul, handball, etc., but it is the center referee who must make the decision. Uh, even if they didn't see it? Yep. They just got to trust them. What if they don't believe the other ref? Well, then that sucks. I think I see a flaw in the plan, (laughs) Captain. Law number seven. (laughs) Duration of the match. Two 45-minute halves with a running clock. The clock does not stop. Following each half, the referee may add stoppage time to make up for time lost due to injuries, penalties, or anything else that disrupts play like the ball going out of bounds. There is a 15-minute break between halves known as halftime where they return to the locker room. In the FIFA World Cup, there is first a group stage game, which can end in a tie. But in a game of the round of the last 16, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the final cannot end in a tie. If a game does end in a tie in these rounds, extra time, and if it's not decided in the extra time, a penalty shootout is used to determine the winner. Is that just to keep things moving? Correct. Uh, I see, I see. Because in the group stage, you get points based on whether you tie or win and the top two from the group. So there's a group of four teams. They're put in each category. So there's a bunch of different groups. You play a round robin. You play each team twice and you accrue points. You get one point for a tie. I think it's two for a win and none for a loss. And the top two total points based on your games against each other within your group, then move on and get placed into the actual bracket for the tournament. Okay. Got it. During the bracket, if there's a tie, they will play two extra 15-minute periods of overtime to decide a winner. If they're still tied after that, that's when it goes to the penalty shootout. Okay, I see. Got it. Law 8, the start and restart of play. Unlike in most other sports, play continues when the ball goes out of bounds, and teams must rush with the assistance of ball boys and girls to get the ball back on the field of play as clock continues to run and players continue to move for positioning. So even though the ball goes out of bounds, play still continues, and so people that go to retrieve it for a throw-in or a corner kick or whatever, corner kicks generally they spend a lot more time, but for throw-ins on the side, they're usually rushing to maintain their positioning to try and get the ball back into the field of play as soon as possible. So the 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 clock just never stops. Correct. Okay, gotcha. How many ball boys and girls? A lot. I um, don't have a number. <laughs> a lot. It's it's over 300 under 1000. <laughs> There's so many. How <laughs> many ball boys <laughs> in World Cup? <laughs> It's not telling me that, but it says there's often seven balls that are held by ball boys around the edge of the pitch. 
Okay. So I assume seven. All right. I want them on strings over the field so that they're <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> Flying the ball, boy. The start of play for the beginning of a game is the kickoff. Each period starts in the kickoff, which is taken at the center spot and determined by a coin toss um, where the game is started, where the winner of the coin toss decides if they want to start with the kickoff or start with the ball or if they want to get it in the second half. Originally, the ball had to move backwards to start, but now it can move any direction. So the player at the center point must kick the ball to his or her teammate and can only hit it once before it hits another player. So they got to kick it backwards or was that the old rule? The old rule, old rule is they had to move it backwards, oh, um, but now they can do it in any direction. And both teams have to be on their own sides of the field at the kickoff. Okay. A goal can be scored directly against the opponent from a kickoff, although it's highly unlikely to occur. So if you're running out of time and you're down by two goals, you can just full on kick the shit out of the ball and try and score a goal off the kickoff. Right. So it's like an across the court thing in basketball where you fling it as hard as you can, you hope. Yes. Okay, got it. Drop ball is occurs when the referee stops the game for a special reason like an injured player or the ball becoming defective like it, if it goes flat. Uh, okay. If a referee has to do a drop ball, it's like a jump ball, except you drop it in front of them and they both try and take possession of the ball with their feet. I feel like that's a recipe for broken ankles. Possibly. All right. It's like a face-off in hockey, but with your feet and a soccer ball. All right, cool. This rarely happens, by the way. All right. Play resumes when the ball hits the ground and the players battle for possession. I lost number. Law I, because they're used letters. Law I? I don't know what law number I'm on anymore. What's the letter of the alphabet is I? Nine? One. That's one. No, no, that's the that's the Greek Roman numerals. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking? I is an imaginary number. A B C D I e, I stands F, for G, negative H, the I. like the square root of negative one. You're right. It's law nine. All right. Ball in and out of play. The ball is in play during the entire match, except when it has crossed the goal line or touch line, uh, whether on the ground or in the air, or the play has been stopped by the referee. I have no question. I don't know. I don't know what you're waiting for. It made sense to me. <laughs> it made sense? Yes. Good. <laughs> I wanted to make sure. All right. Law 10. Methods of scoring. A goal can be scored from any standard game action, direct free kicks or penalty kicks, which a penalty kick is a version of direct free kick. Um, it is only considered to be a goal when the ball completely crosses the line and that no infringement of the laws of the game have been committed by the team scoring the goal. Law 11. The offsides rule. The trickiest and dumbest rule, in my opinion, okay. in soccer. Wow. I hate this rule. Bold. It's stupid. Okay, wow. People are going to be very angry at me, but I think this is the dumbest rule. Okay, I'm ready. It's difficult for most bystanders to understand, and in my opinion, like I said, the dumbest. Uh, the basic concept is that a player must be at least one defender, not including the goalie, between him and her and the goal when the ball is played to him when he is on the opponent's side gaining an advantage. So basically, I have to have a different player of the opposition between me and the goal, not directly, they just have to be closer to the goal than I am, but linearly closer to the goal line more than just the goal itself, before the ball is passed. I cannot be past that person in which an action for a pass starts heading my way. So it only it is only offsides. Like I can stand there and it's not offsides, but once action is directed towards the player, um, that's when offsides would be called. Wait, but doesn't that remove an entire layer of strategy of getting? Wouldn't you want to pass to someone who is close to the goal? Wouldn't the other team yes. just like, well, we're never going to get that close, and therefore they can't get close this is why i say it's the dumbest rule what? because but, it's advantageous for the defense to play out of position and forward because then 
They can step in front of a player who's the furthest forward so that when a pass is played, then they are officially ruled offsides because they were closer to the goal than the defender was. But that's so arbitrary. There's only one ref. He can't be in all places. How could he objectively? The, the assistant sidelines. The sideline, uh, that's where the assistant officials come in. Oh, okay. All right, sure. They're they're the ones that call offsides because they're running down the sideline and they're they're designated for each side. But again, you understand my problem here. Yeah. It is in the defensive favor to move out of position to be defending the goal because then a penalty would be called for offsides if that person then got past the ball. What if the entire defending team is on the other side of the field? Doesn't matter. What? What? Can you do that? Technically, every single player on the field can be across the midline what? on offense if you want to. Then it's usually never done because it's disadvantageous to have your goalie completely out. But well, not that disadvantageous. If everyone on the other team is closer, now, how would how would they even ever stop them? Well, there is a rule because offsides in soccer has to happen on the attacking side of the field, so it has to be on that half. Uh, basically, the rule states that players are offsides if they become involved in active play when any part of their head, body, or feet is nearer to the opponent's goal line than both the ball and the second to last opponent. Ah. Uh, Okay. And they have to be on their opponent's half of the field to be offsides. Okay. All right. It just seems very arbitrary, but I, I guess maybe I could, I, I don't know. I don't know enough. I can't make a judgment. It does seem silly, but I'm an idiot. So what do I know? Yeah. I hate it because it's advantageous for a defender to be out of position. So yeah, that's why I don't like the offsides rule. I'm like the details of it are beside the point. You can be in an offsides position, but not be called for offsides by being on the other side. But once you are past the ball, then an offsides would be called. And you become involved in active play, according to the rules, as soon as the ball is passed. So, like, I could be right next to a defender, and this is why it kind of makes sense. I could be right next to a defender, but once the ball is passed, I can sprint past the defender once that action is taking place. That way, I can get an, advan uh, an advantage. But it's about timing and strategy in that front. But it's still like, as a defender, it's like, oh, I see you there. I'm going to step two steps forward so that if they pass you the ball, you're offside. Yeah, I could see that too. Okay, interesting. At the same time, you're betting on the the officials to catch it and notice that they were offsides. Right. So a lot of times offsides does get called pretty frequently and it does happen. I just think it's a dumb rule because it's from a strategic standpoint, if I'm on defense, it gives me an advantage to be out of position as opposed to like in basketball where I'm like, I'm going to stay between you and the basketball hoop. Yeah, I get that. It, it seems like it incentivized the wrong type of gameplay that you would want, but what do I know? But it is a way to avoid, like, to deter cherry picking. I actually, like a month ago, I got in an argument with a person about the fact that I think offsides is really stupid on the internet, but um, uh -huh. I felt like I won the argument. Okay, all right. So long <laughs> as you felt like that, that's all that matters. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Law 11. <laughs> Good God. How many laws are there? Fouls and misconduct. Misconduct is where a player deliberately targets a player and then pushes, holds, kicks him or her away, which can occur at any time. Oftentimes, doing any of these where you deliberately do this is a red card. This is the silly no violence rule. Pff, it was better in the old days when you shot your opponent. <laughs> Meanwhile, fouls occur when the action is accidental when a player is trying to get the ball from his or her opponent. Um, it can only occur when the ball is in play. Most fouls are due to pushing, tripping, holding, handballs, charging, which result in a free kick. Um, if the foul is really serious or a player has been warned several times or for offenses, the referee can penalize them with a yellow or red card in addition to the free kick or penalty kick. 
Two yellow cards ends up becoming a red card. A yellow card is generally a caution or a warning, and it provides players receiving them another chance to stay on the field for the remainder of the game, whereas a red card means they're immediately ejected. Okay, got it. Oftentimes, some red cards can end up becoming suspensions for future games as well because it's based on like i think like game time if i remember right that's a super red card it's like shiny it's got glitter yes. in the card law 12 free kicks free kicks are awarded as a result of minor penalties charging from behind touching all the stuff we talked about but free kicks can be indirect or direct indirect means you cannot take it towards the goal you cannot score a goal directly from an indirect free kick you have to pass it to another player in hopes of setting up a goal. If a player scores directly from an indirect free kick without another player touching the ball, the goal doesn't count. Meanwhile, a direct free kick is where the person taking the kick can score without first passing it to another player. This is where a penalty kick actually fits into the free kicks. Penalty kicks, which is the next law, is a direct free kick from the penalty spot and is awarded for a major foul or handball committed by a defensive player in his own penalty area. So if you are fouled while trying to score a goal inside the penalty box. Mm -hmm. Ball is put into play with the attacking team's player shooting on the goal, which is 12 yards from the goal, and the goalkeeper defending on the goal line. They cannot be ahead of the goal line. They must be in a line with the goal line or behind it. Everyone else may has to remain outside the box and can only mo move towards the ball once it is kicked. So if the penalty is saved by the goalkeeper or strikes the ball, a player can run from the edge of the box, gain possession to either score or defend from a rebound goal. The throw-in. When it goes out of bounds on the sideline, you're required to throw it back into play. The team who last touched the ball before it goes out of bounds is the one who loses possession of the ball and the throw goes to the opposing team. This is often done intentionally by a defending team to allow their team to get back in position if there was a fast break opportunity for an offensive team. At the moment of delivering the ball, the throw must stand facing the field of play, have part of each foot on the touchline or on the ground outside the touchline and throw the ball in with both hands from behind and over the head from the point where it left the field of play. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's like a throw in where people do like a somersault flip. I personally have never seen it, but it sounds pretty cool. So they like take the ball and they kind of tuck and do like a front handspring off the ball and then yuck it. And this is part of the rules. Laws? It is allowed. Right. It is allowed. Is it required? No. All right. Goal kick, um, which I referred to earlier, is awarded to a defending team if the attacking team sends the ball over the defending team's goal line, not within the goal. Uh, the ball is put back in play with the goalkeeper placing the ball in the goal box, and he or she or another player on the team kicks the ball upfield. More often than not, it's the goalie because he's passing it to the other people. The goal kick must be powerful enough to pass the penalty area, and the kicker may not touch the ball again until it, is, it has left the penalty area and has been touched by another player on either team. Goal kick acts as a direct free kick, so if a player would kick the ball so hard that it would reach the opposing team's goal and score, that goal would count. That's the way goalies have scored goals. All right. Full court shot. And the last law, the corner kick. Awarded to the attacking team when the defending team last touches the ball and it goes over their own goal line outside of the goal itself. Oh, it goes over the defending goal line. Okay. So if the defending team last touches it and goes over their goal line, it's rewarded to the attacking team. Um, it's an often play where the attacking team gets a great chance to score opportunity. Um, they're required to put the ball back in place from the course nearest to the where the ball went out. So if it was on the right of the goal, it would go to the corner on that side. Left of the goal, it goes to the corner on that side. Tagging player hopes to kick the ball high and set up a teammate for a possible goal. High goal, goal scoring chances occur from these opportunities. <sighs> Is that all of them? Yes, we're in the final act, Mark. Oh, no, pause. Uh, hold on. Yeah. You lost me like it, too. 
I'm hoping. <laughs> the second law. Dude, man, I've had engineering lectures that were more <laughs> captivating than that Oxford drivel. Can you give me a Cliff Notes version and just talk to me like I'm an idiot? And then uh, maybe I'll catch some of it. Okay. Game start. Uh, Coin toss. Oh. Decide who kick. Uh, Team who kick, try attack. Okay. Ball goes out of bounds on the sideline. Uh-huh. Throw in. Throw in. Whichever team touched last, the other team gets throw in. Like basketball. Like basketball. Uh. Ball cross goal line. Uh. Defending team hit ball last. Can you put Corner in kick. more fireworks? <laughs> <laughs> Kaboom. Oh. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Defending team touched last. Corner kick. Uh. Goal. Reset. Team that got scored on get kickball from center. Okay. Kickball from center. They accidentally kick over goal line while attacking. Uh. Goal kick. Goalie kickball far downfield uh-huh. to other teammate outside penalty box. Uh-huh. Man pulls hair of other player. Uh-huh. Penalty. Okay. Free kick. All right. Yellow card. Warning. Uh-huh. Uh, they get an indirect free kick because middle of field, outside penalty area. Okay. Kickball to teammate cannot score uh-huh. themselves. Teammate can score. Uh-huh. Kickball to teammate behind defender, offsides. Offside occur, I pull out gun. I go to captain house and I score. <laughs> bang, bang. <laughs> Fireworks. <laughs> All right, okay, all right. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best I could do with those laws, man. Good, good. Good. All right, the final act. All right. The game, the positions, and strategy. So, this is where I get the abbreviation. The game starts with a coin toss. Winner picks if they want to kick off or wait until the second half. Okay. I'm Baby Mark. Yes. I have been watching football my entire childhood. Mm -hmm. I am four years old. I am curious of how to become a star just like my heroes at the World Cup. I'm at the stadium. I'm ready to go. What do I do? Well, it depends on what position you want to play. Oh, I kicked a ball. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to assume your position that you want to be the striker. All right. You want to score goals. Yeah. I want to shoot the gun. Yeah, they must be good shooters. <laughs> All right. That's one of their skills. Okay. So you got to be quick. Oh, yeah. Got to be unpredictable. Oh, I'm a four-year-old. You'll have no idea what I'm going to do. You got to be in great shape, which means you got to be able to run and have powerful legs. I have the strongest legs on a four-year-old you've ever seen. It's like two adult legs on a four-year-old's body. I am I am five feet tall at four years old, but just in my legs. You got to have a great first touch, which means you have to have a great first instinct when you move the ball to be able to throw defenders off. I don't you got to shake and bake. Is that what you got to spin the ball. Uh, you got to do rainbows. That's those Oxford douchebags again. Got to have a great first touch. <laughs> what does that mean? You know. It's like, what is it, like? it sounds too sensual. Like, why is that a soccer term? <laughs> it just is. All right. <laughs> so you want to focus on your skill set of dribbling the ball, which is controlling it, basically passing it to yourself and being able to control it and keep it away from other players. Uh-huh. Um, you want to have quick acceleration, which means going from zero to 100 very quickly. Um, have good balance so that you you can 
stand on one foot for a good amount of time while you're controlling the ball and also being able to adjust and ebb and flow in every direction. Okay. Agility is key. Being able to move quickly and adjust positions side to side. You got to be confident. You got to believe in yourself. You got to be like, I'm the best baby that ever played the game of football that ever happened. I'm four. I want an otter pop. You can have your otter pop when you win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And now you're breaking down the rule. You have to have composure. You can't get emotional. You got to be strong and composed and elegant like the listeners of this podcast. Oh, uh, okay. So that you can stay calm when chaos is unfolding around you so that you are in the right position at the right time to then be able to put the ball in the goal no matter what happens. Uh-huh. There you go. That's it? That's that's baby you. Baby right? me's going to the World Cup? Yep. Right. You got to know the rules. The game starts with a coin toss. Winner picks the sides. There's strategies of how you place the players, but we're going to skip over that. The most common is the classic 4-4-2, um, which is basically you have four forwards, four midfielders, and two defenders, uh -huh. um, along with the goalie. So the goalie is always kept out of the numbers because they're always back there in the goal. Uh -huh. Ball goes out. You throw it in. Goal kick or corner kick, avoid offsides because it's the stupid rule and nobody likes it. Basically, the object of the game, you want to score goals which is what you, baby Mark, do. That's what I do. And you want to prevent goals from being scored. That's not my job. Nope, that's your teammates. All right. Um, requires endurance, communication, solid eye-foot coordination, and patience. More often than not, goals are scored in soccer by taking advantage of the mistakes of the other team. All right. The FIFA World Cup uh, follows a tournament structure that creates exciting soccer and equal opportunities for each team. The first stage is known as the group stage, where 32 competing teams are broken up into groups of four teams, um, which I described earlier. Each then play each other twice in a round-robin fashion. The top two teams move on to the round of 16, which becomes the knockout stage, which is the bracket that we see in the World Cup. Um, the points are used to rank the teams within a group. This has been the case since 1994. Three points are awarded for a win. So if you defeat another team, it's three points, not two. I was mistaken earlier. Okay. It's one point for if you tie and zero points if you lose. Mm. Okay. So the knockout stage serves as the tournament's quarterfinals. If a team wins its match, it moves on to the semis and eventually to the final if they continue to win. Okay. And that's how a winner is eventually decided. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you survive your group, you get into the bracket. From the bracket, your seeding is based on your performance within the group. So, like, the highest point total gets the highest seeds. A lot of times there's some rankings that happen before the FIFA World Cup that affect it as well. There are 11 positions in soccer. You have your goalkeeper, your right fullback, left fullback, also known as wingbacks, center back. Uh, another position is called sweeper, defensive midfielder, right midfielder, center midfielder, uh, center forward, also known as the striker, attacking midfielder, center forward, or left midfielder and winger. Those 11 positions include 10 outfield players and the one goalkeeper, which is the most common positions. Anyone can run all over the field as much as they want, but that's not as advised because it's not good strategy. Uh. It's divided into three groups. You have your defenders, which is like your goalkeepers and your the fullbacks um, and center backs and sweeper. You have your midfielders. Um, they're generally the like high endurance. They're the ones that are really good at passing and being able to transition the ball from offense and defense. Defenders are good control positions and obviously tend to be very quick and being able to adjust to the attack. And then the attackers are key on quick speed, dribbling capability, and cross passes and strong, accurate legs. They got to be able to put the ball exactly where you want it to go. 
Of course. That's kind of how soccer is made. There's a lot of like key skill groups that I could talk about in each position. Strategy comes into a big deal in soccer with regard to how you form your team and the formations that you do. Basically positioning whether you want to be a major attacking formation or defensive formation. Some defensive formations that are common are the 3-4-2-1 or the 4-5-1 and the 5-2-2-1. A lot of them have to do with like playing back and allowing the other team to make mistakes. Or if you're ahead and you're trying to just kind of maintain the game and don't need to attack as much. The most common off formation that's used in soccer is the 4-4-2, and it is an offensive formation where you have four attackers, four midfielders, and two defenders along with the goalie. There's also the 3-4-3 and the 3-6-1, but there's a lot of different tactics to make soccer. But at the end of the day, it's about key passing, accuracy, communication, and patience, along with endurance. Maintaining and being able to pass the ball to each other and get the opening spot to eventually get a striking kick that's going to be on goal is how you win the game. Games can be decided by as little as one goal. I think the most I've ever seen in a game personally in the World Cup was like eight goals that Germany made against, um, I don't remember what team they were playing, but it was absolutely insane. They scored like three goals in like the first five minutes. Yeesh. It was crazy. That is crazy. But yeah, soccer's all about kicking the ball, controlling it with your feet, passing it with your feet, accurately throwing it with your hands when you get it out of bounds, goal kicking, and uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that the defense gives you as you pass it through and get it into the net. All right, and that's soccer? Yeah. Okay, that was... I'm not going to lie. I, I, at the end of the cricket primer, I wanted to watch a cricket match. I really did. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm super into this. This sounds great. This, for some reason, I have no desire to watch a soccer match. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I have zero desire. <laughs> I don't know. I love it was, soccer, though. I, it, I, I know. I get that. I understand that. And I know that it's the most popular sport in the world. But I'm like, I don't, I, I, I don't understand. Like, it, it, I think it's just like there's so many of these boring rules and like <laughs> it's just like i never understood why people love to watch it why do people love to watch it? why do people love to play it why is it the most popular sport in the world because everything i heard sounded like anything it's just like it could have been anything in the world i don't know what the deal is so why 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 here's why mark okay it is the world's most accessible sport and this is why all you need is a ball just a round ball any ball any size across the world, and just some open field. You can put sticks in the ground to designate goals, and you can play. Okay. It's cheap, it's easy, it's accessible. People can play it at any place at any time. All you need is a ball. You can practice even just dribbling the ball and doing anything like that by yourself. You don't even need that much space. You can do it in your living room. You can do it in your bedroom. You can do it in a three-foot square if you really wanted to. Uh -huh. It's one of the most accessible games that is out there because all you really need to be able to play some part of it is a ball. All right. Because the structure of most other sports, like baseball, you got to have a bat, you got to have a glove, you got to have a ball. Same thing with cricket. You got to have the wickets, you got to have the ball, you got to have the paddle that they call a bat. And usually you need a larger field for it and you need multiple players. But soccer, you could have two people with a ball and have a fun little competitive match of soccer. Mm. Okay, that sounds a bit more appealing. That does. Yeah, so being able to dribble that ball and thinking of how accessible it is gives you more opportunities to see people go from rags to riches in the sense of going from nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, in dire need, to suddenly being the most 
absolutely fantastic, phenomenal soccer player that ever lived because they just played and played and somebody found them and they invited them into a team and all of a sudden they got the opportunity. Like people all over the world have the ability to be able to just take a ball and make something of themselves and make something fun and simple that can happen. No matter whether you have no dollars to your name or you have lots of money to your name, it is a sport that can be played. Okay. That sounds cool. Yeah, I think the coolest thing that I ever saw and the reason why I started liking soccer or what the world calls football so much more is when I went to Costa Rica in eighth grade. We were out on this um, this farm area and we were staying with like hosting families at the time. And no matter where you went in Costa Rica, you saw soccer fields. But this this place was like these they they worked for picking pineapples and and dealing with fruit plants. Like they were not well off. But they made made it work. And when we arrived on on our bus, they were already playing soccer. And it was one of those things where we got off the bus and they just wanted to play soccer with us and had us play. And we played this game with these little kids in this completely barren dirt field with two sticks in the ground for the goals. And it was just fun. It was friendly. It was silly. It was just fun. And so to me, that's the most pure form of sport I have ever seen has been the sport of soccer. Hmm. All right. I'm more interested in watching a game now. Good. Because the World Cup is happening and you should check it out. (laughs) That was the most vitriolic good I've ever heard. All right. I'm exhausted. This is this I have more pages of notes on this than I had for the cricket prize. Oh man, I can tell. (laughs) I was like, I gotta do this right. And a lot of people are gonna be mad at me because I didn't talk about the love of the game. But like I was trying to explain every intricate detail because it's so fascinating to me, the history of everything. Mm-hmm. And like there's so much on my notes that I left out, obviously. I skimmed as fast as I could in the history even mm-hmm. um, to try and make this as short as possible. And I know. Arg- I'm aware of that. I think I think <laughs> there's a there's a line to walk, right? There's a line between the technical aspect of how the game is played and also just like the why, the love of it, the the reason mm-hmm. pe- behind it. And I think like the history does lead a lot of I love the history. I like the history is super fun to know about. Reading those goddamn Oxford nerds rules. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you had some really good funny moments within those rules. uh, I I, I tried my best, but I appreciate you do you doing your due diligence. You give the people what they ask for. Yeah, maybe when we do the soccer primer 2.0, I can just focus entirely on like the positions and strategy or something. But no. This has been like my biggest fear was to have so many people angry at me for this sport. <laughs> so, <laughs> except for the offsides rule, I'm I'm I dare them to contest me in the offsides rule and why I think it's dumb. Mm. Well, I look forward to the next GQs. Well, Mark, anything you want to send people to go look at other than uh, store.gmfst.com to check out our new merch that's launched now for uh, the holiday season? Nope, I think that'll be enough for me. All right. Well, check out Mark over on his stuff. You can find me all over on socials as Tyler Scheid. Other than that, like, subscribe, follow, all that stuff for the podcast. Go check out the YouTube channel. And we will see you next time for the next episode, whatever it shall be, of Go My Favorite Sports Team. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.